Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're currently joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for joining us today. Good morning, Jonathan. Good to be back. So we've got a packed podcast today and we're going to be discussing numerous companies as well as some of the most important themes in markets at the moment. Uh, to start off with though, Alan, let's go back to last week. We discussed Barclays uh, yep. in some detail. And at the time we said in the following week, we will be receiving further updates from other UK banks, uh, which we have done uh, in the form of NatWest, Lloyds. Um, I think we've had Standard Chartered in the last couple of days. But I, I think in terms of the comparisons that we, we should start with and, and make, Alan, is looking particularly at NatWest and Lloyds because their business models are the most similar Mm. To, to to Barclays and obviously facilitators of the UK economy as well as bellwethers for, for the UK economy. So very good numbers from Barclays and it appears um, to be the same situation in NatWest and, and Lloyd's. Uh, Lloyd's profit up to 2 billion, NatWest's up to 1.6 billion. Both had significant reversals of provisions they made for covid uh, coming into to the profit there. So some quite sharp increases in the profits. But from what you've seen, Alan, is there a particular standout from those banks that you think investors should be looking at? Or do you think it's a case, it's a story across the, the same across all of them? And, and really, they're probably going to move uh, in the same way over the next uh, period? Well, I think I think by and large, as we uh, uh, as I said before, I mean Barclays for me is still the pick because it's differentiated. It, let's face it, it, it's it's tough to be in banking at the moment. Retail banking is uh, is a very very low margin uh, business to be in, and um, we've seen we've seen um, you know banks like Metro Bank attempt to secure a position in the UK. Just as a high street bank, and um, you know, I, I think I think whilst it's laudable and it's great to have a community bank there, the the realities are as a as a commercial operation, it's very hard to 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 uh, to, to make it profitable. But um, we've seen um, Barclays, of course, have have done a good job, but uh, most of their profits were driven by their investment banking arm and uh, historically that's bar- always been Barclays profile still trading at a big uh, at a big discount to net asset value but I've been particularly impressed by Lloyd's um, uh, you know obviously with the with the dividend cap being lifted um, they've reinstated the dividend and along with um, along with a number of other companies Lloyd's historically has been a cornerstone of many uh, a fund manager's uh, portfolio, um, simply because uh, the dividend was regular as clockwork. Then, of course, the credit crunch happened, and it's really been hard for the banks to recover since then. Um, is uh, could Lloyd's be restored to its former glory? Um, too early to say, I think. But um, uh, you know, it's it's reported uh, it, it reported a pre-tax profit of three point nine billion um, compared to a six hundred two million loss last year at the, at the height of the crisis. 
Um, and in that, it's still set um, a further £837 million aside for bad debts from the from the COVID pandem- pandemic. Um, revenues uh, or net income, shall I say, rose to seven, $7.6 um, And the net interest margin, the difference between saving lending rates, fell nine basis points to points to two and a half percent so so yeah slim margins again uh for the group but um that's a pretty healthy profit and a pretty resounding turnaround um as we emerge from covid and uh i i think um i think uh we the as with all the banks um all of the banks are facing the the onslaught of the new challengers we've obviously got the likes of starling and tide out there and um with the open banking um, initiatives uh, that we're going to touch on sh- uh, a little later as well, um, we've got all of these factors um, stacking up against the traditional bank going forward. Nonetheless, um, you know, Lloyd's is, uh, is marketing as heavily as ever. I mean, there are TV ads everywhere. The black horse is galloping across our screens, um, as it has done for years. Um, and of course, um, after the dividend cap was lifted, um, the the, the uh, lawyers declared a point six seven p per share dividend. Um, so so investors will be cheering the return of that. Um, in terms of the uh, the, the actual uh, uh, performance of the stock, I mean it's recovered very strongly from uh, uh, it, it dipped below twenty five p in uh, August September last year, and of course we're now sitting at forty six p. I am a shareholder in the company, um, so um, I will continue to hold but um it's going to be hard really to see how they're going to grow and improve from there i think um i think ultimately if lloyd's can streamline their operations offload some of their massive property portfolio then i think we're going to see the way forward fantastic so i mean just just one last point with the 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 banks alan i mean is it a case that that you feel that they're very tightly tied to the, the UK economy going forward in terms of the growth trajectory that, that we have? Or, or do you feel that there's uh, internal uh, an internal situation within the banks that they uh, you know, have improvements that is going to see increases in profitability going forward, which isn't so much linked to, to the economy? Uh, I think uh, banks like Lloyd's, of course, are UK UK focused, UK centric. So they are very much tied to the to the whims of the UK economy going forward. Um, But uh, but obviously others that we've discussed, Barclays has its global investment banking portfolio, um, HSBC, Standard Chartered. These are all uh, uh, global international banks. So they're less that they are less. Well, whilst they have exposure to the UK, of course, they are less reliant on on the on the performance of the UK uh, or, or, or a recovering UK economy to support their overall performance. But um, but that they have a lot of, as I said, they have a lot of barriers that they face, a lot of challenges to negotiate. Um, the challenger banks are nipping at their heels and will continue to do so. Um, and the the banks have been forced. Well, the good thing is, I think, for the consumer, the, the banks have been forced to evolve and modernise to keep pace with the challenges. So the technology that we're going to be seeing going forward, I mean, already with the banking apps, um, you know, certainly 
I have a Halifax app, um, which is, of course, uh, Halifax owned by Lloyds Banking now. And um, I've seen improvements in that. And certainly there are issues with hacking and security that uh, are, are creating constant concerns. And certainly Lloyds uh, and Halifax Banking are very much ahead of the curve on that front. And I'm just speaking from personal experience in using their app much, much better than the NatWest app and uh, and rival apps. So I think they've got, um, they've certainly got a head start in that field, but uh, time will tell. Indeed, indeed it will. And I'm sure when we get further updates in the banking sector, it will be something we discuss on the podcast again. So Alan, let's now move on to a theme which is, you know, slightly more global in its significance. And that's the going ons in China over the past few months. Of course, we've been discussing in, in some detail um, COVID and how that's been impacting markets over the last year. Of course, there's no escaping the pandemic and what that's done to equities. However, you know, before that, we've always seen China as quite a big driver of, of markets. Um, you know, the, the growth story there has been one that investors have been increasingly reliant on uh, over the years in terms of pushing forwards global growth. But it seems now, just in the last week, Alan, that that's starting now to, to shift from uh, the pandemic back towards a focus on China and looking to China for growth. And we started to see some wobbles. Initially in, in oil markets, we've, we've seen oil soften on concerns uh, around manufacturing data coming out of China. Uh, we had the manufacturing PMIs, which is a gauge uh, of manufacturing activity in China that fell to 50.4 with expectations of 50.8. A reading of anything above 50 is a sign of expansion within the manufacturing sector. But of course, we're now falling down to those levels of around um, 50.4 to that 50 level, which would actually signify a contraction there. I mean, do you feel, Alan, that there is any weight to concerns about growth in, in China? Or, or do you think that this is you know, potentially markets just starting to move on from the pandemic, having a little look around what's happening on a global basis and saying, OK, maybe China's not as strong as we wanted it to be and what it was three months ago as it, as it was recovering and starting to see um, some worries there. Um, I mean, is it going to be something that you think is quite significant for the rest of this year in terms of China gro China's growth and how it's moving um, the global situation uh, when people are paying attention to, to where we're going to see earnings come from over the next sort of six to 12 months? Yeah, I, I mean, China is always a concern for any investor, John. And uh, yeah, as you rightly said, uh, the next six to 12 months, bearing in mind that markets are always looking between six to nine months ahead. Um, but uh, but some, some facts can't be changed. I mean, China has the most enormous manufacturing industry uh, uh, an enormous population and uh, uh, an economy that's um, not only as fast was fast growing anyway, but is recovering uh, even faster because of the recovery from COVID and the return to some semblance of, of normality. I mean, you know, when you consider it, it imports roughly half of all the the key metals um, that are mined, a third of all shipped 
crops and nearly 20% of global ore shipments, you can see the impact that China has on the global economy. And of course, the, the moves to to try to curb, um, to, uh, or by the China, Chinese government to, to curb prices, um, have really been like, uh, you know, trying to sort of not rearrange their chairs on the Titanic, but uh, um, attempts to sort of turn a, a super tanker around um, in a river. You know, it's um, they are extremely limited in what they can do because, as as an economy, they are beholden to 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 commodity prices, um, and the more they consume, um, effectively, the more prices can be raised, and that and they are very much um, beholden to that. Um, but I'm sure the threat um, to uh, take measures like this and, you know, if the government becomes more protectionist going forward, the very threat will take some of the froth off the prices. And of course, that will impact on the commodity prices to some extent or prices and also, of course, the prices of the underlying stocks and, and instruments used to trade that. Um, but uh, we're looking six to nine months ahead. Um I don't think there are too many concerns at the moment. And if we, if the next manufacturing uh, and GDP data from China shows the growth that uh, would seem to be um, taking place there, then um, I don't think we can have too many worries. So throughout history, Alan, we, we've always seen when there's a change of major global superpowers going back to, to Roman times and, and even before that, whenever we see a shift of the biggest power uh, in in the world, there, there is a, a form of, of friction. Of course, back then, you know, it, it, it was uh, military military um, conflicts that, that that played out, and mm. you know, to some extent, I think that there's an argument now that we are seeing that uh, between the United States and, and China. But opposed to it being played out on a military basis, it does seem that it's it's on a trade basis, um, and you know, so looking at some of the moves that we've seen. Um, from China um, very recently, particularly targeting Chinese companies that are listed in New York. Um, a few, you know, a few uh, a few weeks ago now, DD listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Now, this is uh, a a ride uh, hailing uh, app, very similar to Uber, um, listed in New York, um, Chinese company. Very shortly after that, uh, the Chinese blocked the the app um, from being accessed and saw a huge drop in in the price of that company shortly after its IPO. And just this week, we've seen the Chinese state media calling a game operated by Tencent, a very large technology company um, operating in China, listed in in New York. Uh, One of the the popular games there, calling it um, Spiritual Opium, saw $60 billion drop off the value of that, that company in one day. This yep. is something that, that has been going on ever since Trump came in into power. But Alan, looking at it from a UK investor's point of view, do you think this is an issue that is very much um, only an issue if you're focused heavily on uh, stocks listed in the United States, and of course, um, you know, trying to invest and, and find opportunities in China. Or do you think this could have some spillover into UK and European equities going forwards? Oh, it'll, it'll definitely have a spillover, John. There's no doubt about that, because as we always say, if the Dow sneezes, we catch a cold, and that's that's historically always been the case. Um, and uh, 
that that is one way that of course that the 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 Chinese or the Chinese can get some leverage on global markets by uh, impacting on companies on their own companies um, uh, that are listed on other markets. And of course, sixty billion wiped off the um, wiped off the valuation of a company does have a spinover effect because the um, the uh, uh, the the um, the US indices will fall. Um, and correspondingly, the UK and European indices will fall too. But um, those are just intraday sw- swings. And I think um, I think any uh, trader or, or markets, uh, um, a- a- anyone in the market uh, with a position uh, and portfolio is going to take a more sanguine view and, and, and probably uh, look at the bigger picture and just look at it as a storm in a teacup because that's all it is. I, I, think, um, I think if they were... If the Chinese were able to leverage up uh, any further in any way at all, then it would be a concern. But they're limited to that. Um, they are beholden, as I said, to commodity prices. But let's not also forget, you know, China is consuming a huge amount at the moment. But also the US infrastructure itself is in dire need of uh, redeveloping. And, you know, the Biden administration has introduced plans to to reinvigorate um, the the US infrastructure so so it's we're not wholly reliant on the Chinese and I think um, and I think if there if if consumption in other markets increases then of course that will that will loosen China's grip indeed indeed that's gonna be interesting to see how that story plays out in the in the coming months so Alan let's now bring it back to the UK and just as we started off with the banks, which I mentioned were a significant bellwether of the UK economy. We're going to now discuss a equity in Taylor Wimpy, a house builder, also a bellwether of the UK economy. Shares are up just over 3%. They've reported this morning. Alan, what does that look like? Uh, it's, it's, it's a great set of numbers. I, I, I mean, t- you know, t- Taylor Wimpy, ironically, have... Um, uh, well, well there, there, there were a dilemma that I think weighed on the housing stocks last year has has all but dissipated. Um, of course, there the concerns over, and we discussed this on on the podcast before. Just concerns over uh, um, the impact of um, uh, furlough schemes ending and companies unable to survive the COVID crisis. The impact that that would have on house prices seems to be uh, little more than a, a distant memory. Um, house prices are as buoyant as ever, um, possibly inflated to some degree by the stamp duty holiday as well. But um, nonetheless, I mean, uh, Taylor Wimpy has today reported a record half year, um, a record set of half year results uh, with, um, with uh, revenues of 2.2 billion, nearly tripling. Um, uh, 2020's revenue and uh, still up nearly 27% on 2019. Um, there were a number of delays in quarter four of last year, which obviously contributed to lower to the uh, the, the lower um, uh, numbers and uh, and figures from last year. And of course, those are spilled over into the current year. So you could argue that um, the numbers have been partially inflated by the uh, those that weren't able to complete last year, but. We're in a, a, a burgeoning housing market. Um, uh, house prices, I think, um, I think are up some ten percent year on year, and are expected to increase going forward. Um, and the irony is that uh, 
that uh, given everything that uh, we've we've looked at in the uh, housing sector, um, Taylor Wimpy could be one of the um, COVID's biggest winners, ironically. Um, it's it also during the pandemic uh, embarked on an aggressive land buying strategy. So it's got it's got land that it can still build on. So it's got visibility going forward, scope for further sales. Um, and it seems to be building from a, a from a, a very strong base. And of course, from investors, um, there's an interim dividend of just over 4p per share, which will be very, uh, very welcome. Um, and the company said that uh, looking forward, completions are expected to come in near the top end of guidance um, with operating profits expected to be about 820 million, again, beating um, expectations from analysts um, comfortably. So, uh, yeah, I mean, T- Taylor Wimpy, you know, along with a, a lot of other housing companies, looks to be um, in an extremely strong position. I mean, do, do you think that the, the the housing trends that we we're starting to see in in the UK, where uh, it's becoming apparent, central London and, and other cities uh, are, are seeing um, somewhat downside pressure in in some of the, the the sort of key areas that traditionally have been associated with people, um, you know, working within the city as they start to to move out. So it's a sort of concept mm. of uh, out outgration um with with some uh house buyers sort of moving into the country do do you think that a house builder like taylor wimpy is particularly well placed to benefit from that obviously with you know a, a countrywide portfolio of, of properties typically outside of uh, of, of city centers do, do you think this is something that they can see f- th- further benefit from going forward for the rest of 2021 Certainly. Uh, and I think, you know, th- this is where Taylor Wimpy's aggressive land buying strategy during the lockdown has or, or will, will start to pay off. And um, and let's not forget, I mean, you know, a lot of people buying houses um, have saved huge amounts of cash during lockdown because, you know, we've not been able to go out and spend money at the pub or um, in the cinema. Um, uh, so, so people that... Um, have been at home and uh, own houses will have been spending money on home improvements so the we've seen that uh, you know uh, we, we've seen uh, you know bumper years for the DIY sh- stores like well, um, Kingfisher of course B&Q and of course um, for the the builders merchants too um, but um, those that didn't own houses will have has, will have saved large amounts of cash and um, and uh, will be in a very strong position when it comes to purchasing houses in the coming year, so so I, I think I think Taylor Wimpy have got it both ways, and of course other house builders too. So there may be you may want to look around, take a, take a look at some other operators in the sector that maybe um, are or haven't yet reported and could well be in the same position. Yes, yes, and, and as we get uh, further updates from the house builders, it's going to be interesting to see how they perform given. Uh, the slightly different mix across the house builders of where their portfolio of properties are. So that's going to be interesting to see how they they all perform. So moving on now, Alan, to the final company that we are going to discuss today. Now, this is um, one that listeners will be familiar with if they listen to the podcast last week. We had Jonathan Rowland, um, who is the chairman of Mode PLC, but there's been a lot happening since then uh, Alan, uh, with the, the company that specialises in Bitcoin and open banking, what's uh, been the latest updates from them? Okay, so Mode, of course, came to market last year um, uh, 
uh, IPO'd in October uh, 2020, um, and uh, uh, with a focus on bringing payment and loyalty industries into the next generation financial uh, ecosystem. And uh, I mentioned when we spoke about um, Lloyd's earlier, I mentioned the the Open Banking Initiative, and uh, Mode is right at the forefront of that. And uh, um, I was interested when the company first came to market, and uh, I actually downloaded their app and uh, use their app regularly, and it's extremely good. Um, so, so the the, the company uh, sets up the app to enable um, users to use Bitcoin um, to, uh, to 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 make purchases and also to introduce uh, um, crypto, uh, Bitcoin and crypto into into the the, the commercial sector by way of um, uh, 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 payment systems and, and payment um, initiatives. Um, so it's had a busy, uh, a busy a few months. Uh, in June, of course, it announced it partnered with THG PLC for payment launch across thirty brands, and these brands include um, My Protein and Look Fantastic. Um, and the the great thing about the Mode app is it's um, it's seamless instant payment. And um, I've gone in and bought Bitcoin numerous times, and uh, I. I I, I basically make the purchase. It goes into my, it automatically opens my Halifax app. I transfer the money in, and the deal is done. And it takes seconds. It's a very good app, and it's very, it's very user friendly. Uh, you know, and uh, compared to a lot of other apps in the area, I, just, I, I like the way it operates. But um, the the company's taken uh, took a significant step at the end of June when it secured the the EMI license. Those that's the electronic money institution license and of course amld5 F- the fca license um which uh, which basically uh, means that they've built an extremely secure and compliant uh, platform um and it's one of a handful of companies to be granted both those uh, both those uh, um, uh, um, accreditations and it's the only one listed on the uk markets um, then at the end of June, it launched a payment and reward um, system across um, Android platforms, frictionless payments, um, and instant uh, Bitcoin cashback. Um, uh, um, earlier earlier in the year, Bit- uh, Mode um, launched a Bitcoin jar, so it meant uh, users could actually earn interest on Bitcoin on deposits. Bear in mind that um, uh, um, Bitcoin Bitcoin is the default treasury uh, currency for mode um it's actually changed the bitcoin jar into into a payments and rewards system now so if you make payments uh, or you buy goods and services using your mode app uh, with bitcoin you'll earn uh, loyalty rewards and payments on the way through then um, at the end of july uh, last week in fact it launched the payment reward system on the ios system so again uh, an identical platform but for ios um and at, uh, at the end of last week, announced um, its first charity donation partnership with Young Lives Versus Cancer. So making huge headway, um, very much at the forefront of the open finance, uh, uh, um, the open finance and, and open banking initiative. The company is currently worth forty-five million. Got a market cap forty-five million. Trading today at forty-nine p. We've seen it touch as high as seventy-eight p at the start of the year, um, but certainly. Uh, it's put down a floor um, at around uh, for, um, 42, 43p over the past six to the, the, the past three, uh, three to four months, and uh, we're now seeing it uh, move towards the top of the tre- the recent trading range. So 
um, I think a great future and we're going to see a lot more from the company as the second half of the year progresses. So th- this is always a question uh, that, that I've had uh, with with similar companies that are operating in in, in Bitcoin and one that I think we've, we've discussed before uh, earlier on this year. Of course, their, their business is, is operating payments facilitated by Bitcoin, but how much do you think the future revenue generation and profitability and therefore uh, shareholder value is linked to what the price of Bitcoin does and how much of it is down to what the the actual business does in terms of bringing on new customers, offering new services. You know, how how far um, is is the, the sort of balance between those two weighted towards the, the price of Bitcoin? Or, or, you know, could we see a situation where indeed Bitcoin crashes down to 5,000, but we actually do see businesses like Mode really push on and, and produce uh, shareholder returns going forwards? Well, well, of course, uh, Mode has adopted Bitcoin as its treasury reserve unit and holds uh, at least 10% of its cash reserves in Bitcoin. So it is inevitable that... Um, the share price will be uh, subject in some ways to the vagaries um, and movements of Bitcoin. Of course, we've seen it uh, drop. Uh, we, we saw it drop substantially over the past few months and uh, there's been a minor recovery uh, recently, but uh, it's still well down. But um, during the time Mode is rapidly developing its app, you know, it's a one wallet solution. So um, all the transactions that uh, will take place through the payment solution that uh, Mode provides to commercial entities and retailers, um, um, Mode will earn every time a transaction goes through through um, its w- w- one of its um, uh, one of its it, it, it apps and platforms. So um, to, to, to that end, it's uh, it's it's going to gain more and more exposure to simply earning money um, like a bank does from every transaction that goes through. So as time progresses, of course, it will become less reliant on Bitcoin. But the other factor is, that, of course, the uh, governments around the world, including the, the US Fed, are stating clearly stating that they are moving towards having um, having a, a central government uh, cryptocurrency. Um, and I think this is, this is going to be... Um, the, the, it's really given, if you like... Uh, uh, Bitcoin, the credibility that uh, we'd always hoped, and of course CBDCs going forward are going to be key to key to um, the the strength of cryptocurrencies, and that of course, of course includes Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the some of the smaller ones. Um, so, uh, Mode's future is very much based on uh, evolving into a new open bank, if you like, um, earning money from every transaction that comes through a system. But um, in the interim, certainly. It's one of the best places and the easiest places to buy, sell, and hold Bitcoin that uh, I know. Yes, and certainly some exciting additions to their their product range there. So I think that's this is going to be one of the the companies. Having spoken to, to Jonathan Rowland last week to to watch in the crypto space going forward uh, for the rest of this year, and as we start to see this this crypto story develop and become more mainstream. In the in the future, so just as uh, as a recap on the equities that we've discussed today, at the beginning we touched on the banks uh, again and, and focused particularly on, on Lloyd's and NatWest. Lloyd's trades under the ticker of LLOY. 
Nat West, formerly RBS, but now trades under the ticker of NWG. We then discussed the house builder Taylor Wimpy with a ticker of TW, and just then with was Mode, which trades under the ticker of MODE. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks again, Jonathan. So just as a note, if anybody's been listening, um, if you want to know more about Mode, do go back through the list of podcasts and check out the one uh, we did, I think it was about a week ago now, with Jonathan Rowland from Mode. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.